beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it goes without saying that keys are a vital, crucial part of our lives. Most of us, if not all of us, used a key to get here. Maybe we didn't have to actually insert our key into the car door lock or the ignition, but we certainly had to have the key. We use keys, whether they're actual physical keys or electronic keys like codes or passwords. We use keys for many things, not just for our vehicles, but also for our homes and for our, our, our businesses, our workplaces, our online bank accounts, and many other things. Maybe you've had it before where you've, you've lost your keys or you, you've maybe thought you lost them. Or, or maybe you forgot them. That's never good, is it? Keys matter. We need them to get into places like our homes or our cars. And at the same time, we need them to stop others, to keep others like thieves from getting in. There are keys for our homes and for our cars, but there are also keys for the kingdom of heaven. That place of eternal life, that place of, of, of where, there's, where you have a, a life of peace and of, of fellowship with God. But you know, sometimes we act as if there are no keys for the kingdom of heaven. Maybe you say, what do you mean? Well, on the one hand, we can, we can rightly recognize that by nature we where we're all shut outside of God's kingdom, but, but then we can act as if there's no hope. You know, kind of like Christian in, in Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, when, Pilgrim's Progress, when, when giant despair had caught him and, and hopeful and thrown him into the dungeon. We can live, Christian, you remember, he, he forgot for some time that he had a key. And, and we can live that way too sometimes. We can live as if there are no keys by which the door to God's kingdom is open. Or on the other hand, we, we can think and live as, as if the kingdom of heaven, it doesn't have a door. Or at least no key to lock it. We're all in. We're all in the kingdom of heaven already and there's no way any of us could ever be cast out or locked out. But both ways of thinking and living congregation are wrong. Because there are keys to the kingdom of heaven. And that's what our text, Matthew 16, verse 19, makes very clear to us. Christ is speaking here to Peter, who's just confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And, and this is what he says in verse 19. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There are keys for the kingdom of heaven. And Christ says here that he will give those keys to Peter, not to Peter as he stands there in and of himself, but to Peter as the representative of his church. We know that because in Matthew 18, which we read earlier, Jesus repeats part of this verse to all the disciples. If you look back in, in Matthew 18 and, and, you, and you look at verse 18, Jesus says there, he says, Verily I say unto you, and he's speaking here now to not just Peter, but to all the disciples, 
Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now he doesn't specifically say he's giving the keys to all his disciples, but it's certainly implied. And what that means is this, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are Christ's gift to his church. And so with God's help, we hope to consider these keys the keys of the kingdom of heaven this afternoon as we, as we look at Matthew 16, 19 and several other passages also in connection with the Bible-based teaching of Rosie 31. So our theme is the keys of the kingdom of heaven, Christ's gift to his church. We'll consider, first of all, their weighty significance. Secondly, their faithful use. And thirdly, their gracious purposes. So first of all, let's notice their weighty significance. What our text makes clear is that the keys of the kingdom of heaven are not something we can just ignore. They are important, very important. And there are a couple of things that the Bible teaches us about these keys that help us to see that. For one thing, think about what these keys are, what they refer to. Now our passage doesn't explicitly tell us what they are. But the context, both of Matthew 16 and Matthew 18, as well as other New Testament passages, makes it clear. In Matthew 16, what's the context? The context is Peter's confession of who Jesus is. He's the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. And Jesus gives him, and by extension, he gives the church the keys in connection with that confession. And that tells us that one of the keys then of the kingdom of heaven is the proclamation of that confession. In other words, it's the preaching of the gospel. We, we see that confirmed really in John chapter 20. John chapter 20, because in, in John 20 verses 21 to 23, and Jesus on the day he rose from the dead uses the same kind of words, not the exact same words, but the same kind of words that he, that he uses in our text. He says to the disciples there in John 20, verses 21 to 23, Peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. And then listen to this. Whosoever sins ye remit or forgive or cancel, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Do you hear the similarity to Matthew 16, verse 19, where Jesus says to Peter, Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Well, that passage, congregation, confirms then that the preaching of the gospel is one of the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Because what was Jesus sending out his disciples to do? He was sending them out to preach the gospel. But that's not the only key. In Matthew 18, Jesus, as we noticed earlier, he repeats part of our text, the part about binding and loosing. But there the context is discipline among Christians. Discipline in the church. When someone who is called a Christian has sinned. And so that tells us that the keys of the kingdom of heaven refer not only to the preaching of the gospel, but also to Christian discipline. And that's why we confess in, in, a, in the Catechism, answer 83, that the keys of the kingdom of heaven are the preaching of the Holy Gospel 
and Christian discipline. Now those two things, congregation, are weighty activities just in, in and of themselves. The preaching, the proclamation of the Holy Gospel is not a light matter. It's the preaching of salvation from sin and from the righteous judgment of God in and through Jesus Christ. And discipline too, you understand, is not a small thing, is it? It involves admonishing and rebuking others and if they remain unrepentant, excommunicating them out of the Christian church. In other words, cutting them off from the membership of, of the church, from Christian fellowship from the sacrament. That, that's a serious thing. The preaching of the gospel and, and Christian discipline are, are serious things and they, they are the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That's a part of what makes these keys to have such weighty significance. But there's another part. These keys not only refer to weighty actions, the preaching of the gospel, in Christian discipline, they also have a weighty function. Think about the key for your house. What does it do? Well, it, it, it unlocks and, and opens. You use it to unlock and open the door to your house, don't you? And, and then on the other side, when you, when you leave the house, you use the key. After you close it, you use the key to lock it. And it's the same with the keys of the kingdom of heaven. They, they unlock and open the door to the kingdom of heaven on the one hand, and, and they shut and they lock the, the door to the kingdom of heaven on the other. And that's a pretty weighty function, isn't it? I mean, remember what the kingdom of heaven is. It's not a physical place here on earth. There's no physical kingdom of heaven that you can drive to or fly to. It, 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 it's not like the church building is the kingdom of heaven. No, the kingdom of heaven is the place of eternal life, the place of peace and acceptance and fellowship with God. To be in the kingdom of heaven means that you belong to God as one of His people whom He has forgiven and He has saved and He has reconciled to Himself. And to not be in that kingdom means you don't belong to Him. You are not one of His people. You're still in your sins. And you're actually one of His enemies. The kingdom of heaven is a place of God's blessing and love. But outside of the kingdom of heaven is a place of God's curse and His righteous wrath. The kingdom of heaven is a place of real life. But outside the kingdom of heaven is a place of death. Do you see now what a weighty function the keys of the kingdom of heaven have. The keys that Christ himself has given to his church. The keys of the kingdom of heaven, the keys of gospel preaching and Christian discipline, they serve to unlock and open the door to that kingdom of life on the one hand and then to close it and to lock it on the other. By these two, the kingdom of heaven is opened to believers and shut against unbelievers. Congregation, that means well. That means these keys, the keys of the kingdom of heaven are of utmost supreme importance. Don't we need to be reminded of that? 
The preaching of the gospel, Christian discipline are not minor matters. They're major matters. They are ultimately life and death matters. Let us be careful that we never despise them. Let us be careful that we never lose them. And let us thank God for them and make use of them. Christ has given these keys to his church. But maybe you say, well, how, how, do, we, how do we do that? How are we to make proper use of these keys? And that brings us to our second point. The faithful use of these keys. When Christ told Peter that he would give him and ultimately the church the keys of the kingdom of heaven, we need to understand that Christ was not giving up his own authority. He was rather entrusting the church with the keys to use on his behalf. To use in a way that faithfully represents him. We know that because in Revelation 3 verse 7, Revelation 3 verse 7 speaks of Christ himself having the key. Now verses, Revelation 3 verse 7 is the beginning of one of Christ's letters to the seven churches, the letter to the church in Philadelphia. But listen to how Christ speaks of himself there in verse 7. He says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that has the key of David, he that opens and no man shuts, and shuts, and no man opens. You hear what he's saying? He's saying, Christ is saying that he has the key of David. And that refers ultimately to the key of the kingdom of heaven. So ultimately, it's Christ who controls access to God's kingdom. But yet in our text, we read that he has also given the keys to his church. Well, what does that tell us? It tells us that Christ controls access to his kingdom through his church. He has given them that authority. And therefore the church is not free to do whatever they want with the keys. The church is not free to neglect them, nor is it free to use them however they want. The church must use the keys that Christ has entrusted to them in faithfulness to him, in accordance, in agreement with his command. And that faithful use includes, according to our text, both binding and loosing, both forbidding and permitting, both barring entry and granting entry. But what does that look like practically? Well, let's think first about the key of the preaching of the Holy Gospel. What does the faithful use of that key look like? Well, to answer that question, what do we need to do? We need to look at what Christ says about the preaching of the gospel. And, and we need to look at how he himself did it. And when you do that, it becomes very clear. You take, you take Mark 16, for example. In Mark 16, verse 15, Christ told his disciples to go into all the world to preach the gospel. And then he said this in verse 16, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believes not shall be damned. In other words, faithful preaching or faithful use of the key of preaching means not just preaching the facts of the gospel, but it means preaching the need for faith 
in the gospel, for faith in Jesus Christ, for believing the gospel, for trusting in Him, for personal faith in Him. That's the point of Christ's words. His emphasis is on believing, not, not baptism. It's only by believing the gospel, trusting in Christ that we are saved, that we are granted entrance into the kingdom of heaven. Faithful use of the key of preaching will make that clear. And Christ himself, he, he, he did that in his own preaching, didn't he? If you look back at Matthew 18, Matthew 18, which we read earlier, in the beginning of the chapter, when his disciples asked Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, what did he do? He called a little child to himself. And he set him in the midst of them. And he said this in Matthew 18, verse 3, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. What was Jesus doing there? He was opening and he was shutting the kingdom of heaven with the key of preaching. He was opening it by declaring with the example of the little child that it is only through being converted to God by faith in Jesus Christ that we enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's not, it's not by works. And he was shutting it by declaring that without conversion, without faith, we cannot and will not. Enter into that kingdom. Or you can think of another passage, a passage like John 3. In John 3, verse 18, Jesus said this, He that believes on Him, speaking of Himself as the Son of God, is not condemned. But he that believes not is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. That's how the kingdom of heaven is opened and shut by the preaching of the gospel. Quote the Catechism. It is opened and shut when according to the command of Christ it is declared and publicly testified to all and every believer that whenever they receive the promise of the gospel by a true faith, all their sins are really forgiven them of God for the sake of Christ's merits. And on the contrary, when it is declared and testified to all unbelievers in such as do not sincerely repent that they stand exposed to the wrath of God and eternal condemnation, so long as they are unconverted, according to which testimony of the gospel God will judge them, both in this and in the life to come. The point is, congregation, this is how the church must use the key of preaching. That's important for us to remember. The preaching of the gospel, whether it's my preaching or someone else's preaching or our own witness even, must not lose these two aspects of opening and shutting, welcoming and warning. Otherwise, we are not being faithful in our preaching. We are not using the key of preaching rightly. And so we as pastor, as elders, as, 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 as members also have a responsibility to seek to make sure the preaching of the gospel includes includes the proclamation of both the promises and the warnings of the gospel. But what about the key of discipline? What is, what is faithful use of that key of the kingdom of heaven look like? Well, again, when we use that key faithfully, we won't just 
use it, we'll use it the way Christ commanded us to use it. And that means, for one thing, that Christian discipline congregation is a key that's meant to be used only in connection with people who belong to the church. That's obvious in Matthew 18 and in 1 Corinthians 5 as well, which deals with this topic. Both passages speak of discipline in regards to a what? A brother. And 1 Corinthians 5 makes clear that the key of discipline does not apply to people who are not and never were part of the church. What's more, when we faithfully use the, the key of discipline, what will our goal be? Our goal will be not vengeance. Our goal will be the sinning person's repentance. In Matthew 18, Jesus speaks of discipline in regard to private sin. The sin of someone who is part of the church against, a sin against or towards someone else who is part of the church. And in that case, he says in in verse 15, he says, If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If, she, if he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So that's, that's the first thing Christ tells us to do when someone sins against us. We're not to gossip. We're not to think it's the consistory's job to, to do this. No, we're to go and we're to tell him his fault privately. And I think... The assumption here would be, of course, that it's safe to go alone. But with the purpose of gaining him back, gaining that brother back, restoring him to repentance. But what if that doesn't work? Well, Jesus makes clear what we're to do. We're we're to go back then with with two or three witnesses and try again. And then if that doesn't work, we're to tell, tell it to the church. And if that still doesn't work, then we are to let him be as in heathen man. And a publican. In other words, he is to be cut off from the church. He is no longer to be considered a member of Christ's church. That is how we faithfully exercise discipline in the case of private sin. But what about public sin? Sin that is widely known. Matthew 18 doesn't talk about that. But other passages do. For example, 1 Corinthians 5. I already mentioned that passage. Paul writes in verse 1 of that chapter that it is reported commonly there is fornication or or sexual immorality among you. And such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So, So a man had sinned against the seventh commandment and it had become widely known. It was reported commonly. And Paul tells them how to deal with it. He doesn't tell them that one of them should go to talk to the brother privately. No, because it's, it's, it's already public, you see. And, and so he tells them in verse 4, that in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, there's a lot in, those, in those, that verse I just read, but... But the main thing we want to see here tonight is that Paul called them to deal with it publicly when they are gathered together. And so when a sin is public, faithful use of the key of discipline requires that the church begins 
immediately with public admonition. And we can talk about the details of that, and you can look at the church order to see how we have sought to implement that, but, but it implies at the, at the minimum also keeping them from the sacraments. Of course, if the person immediately repents, then there's no need for discipline. But still, if it's a public sin, the repentance should be announced pub publicly. Why? For the honor of the name of the Lord. And for the honor of His church. This is just a sketch of how we are to use the key of discipline. But it is in this way, congregation, that the kingdom of heaven is shut and opened by Christian discipline. When, according to the command of Christ, those who under the name of Christians maintain doctrines or practices inconsistent therewith and will not, after having been often brotherly admonished, renounce their errors and wicked course of life, are complained of to the church or to those who are thereunto appointed by the church. And if they despise their admonition, are by them forbidden the use of the sacraments, whereby they are excluded from the Christian church and by God himself from the kingdom of Christ. And when they promise and show real amendment are again received as members of Christ and his church. Well, congregation, maybe you're hearing all this and you're thinking, well, this sounds more like teaching. It sounds more like a lecture than preaching. I understand. And we could say much more about these things, but we're just skimming the surface. But don't, isn't it helpful to us to be reminded of these things? And, and isn't it helpful to now, having been reminded of these things, uh, also with the key of discipline, to ask ourselves, how are we doing with this key? Are we making faithful use of the key of discipline as members? As elders, do we submit to the faithful use of the key when there's sin in our lives that needs to be addressed? See, it's easy to let this key slip, isn't it? Nobody likes discipline. Nobody likes discipline. Not the ones who receive it and not the ones who give it either. But it's one of the keys that Christ has given. And he has called us to use it faithfully. Not just when we feel like it. But consistently in line with and in submission to his word. But maybe you're wondering, what is, what is the purpose with these keys? What is Christ's purpose? And what should be our purpose as we use them? Well, that brings us to our third point. The gracious purposes of these keys, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. It's true, you see, that the preaching and discipline, they both open and they shut the kingdom of heaven. But the Bible also makes clear that Christ's purposes with these keys, congregation, are gracious purposes. You can think of the key of preaching. Yes, it opens and shuts. It welcomes and it warns. To one, it is the savor of death under death. And to the other, the savor of life under life. But the purpose of such faithful preaching is that through it, many would be brought into the kingdom of heaven and that they would be kept in the kingdom of heaven. That's why Christ commanded the gospel to be preached. That's why he sent the gospel. 
also to us so that we would be saved, so that we would repent and we would trust in Him and continue trusting in Him. You, you, read, you read God's Word and you read the messages of the prophets and it becomes clear over and over again. His desire, his desire with the, the sending the prophets is that this, His people would turn, that they would turn and, and repent and put their trust in Him. That's His purpose. Yes, even discipline, though it's never pleasant, even with the key of discipline, its purposes are, are gracious purposes. It's for the gaining back of those who are sinning, those who are backsliding. The purpose of discipline is not their condemnation. It's their restoration. It's their reconciliation through repentance and faith. Paul told the Corinthians to deliver that man who was sinning in Corinth to, to Satan, but the purpose was that he might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. The purpose was his restoration. And, and, and 2 Corinthians tells us that he was restored. And what an encouragement that is when discipline has been exercised regarding someone in our midst. What an encouragement to pray for them. Do you do that? You do that when someone is under discipline. Do we do that? For those who have been excommunicated, cut off, or who have excommunicated themselves. But there are other purposes with these keys too, and they are just as gracious. I mean, if you look at the context of Matthew 18, can we say, can we say that one of Christ's purposes with the key of discipline is really the care and the protection of believers, those little ones? It's not the will of the Father, he says. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones, and he's referring to believers, those who have humbled themselves as little children. It's not His will that any of them should perish. And as a means to that, He calls us to practice discipline. Another gracious purpose is to preserve the purity of, of God's church, that she should be holy and without spot. Isn't that what Christ has said He's doing for His church? His purpose... <laughs> Well, these are all good purposes. These are all important purposes. And, and that's, they're all part of why Christ has given us these keys. But ultimately, He's given us, hasn't He? He's given them for the glory, for the glory of God. That's our great calling in life. That's our great calling as a church to glorify God. And the keys of gospel preaching and Christian discipline, they help us to fulfill that purpose. That we would live lives that, that glorify God through faith in Jesus Christ. The keys help us to do that by showing us both the holiness and the glorious grace of God in Christ. For sinners as we are to receive sinners to himself. Also when we have backslidden. Do you see with me something of how gracious Christ's purposes are with his gift of the keys of the kingdom of heaven? Kevin, author Kevin DeYoung puts it this way. The keys of the kingdom aren't given for power trips. They are given 
so that in opening the door, many may walk in. And in closing the door, many would be duly warned and seek the only door that leads to eternal life. And so, congregation, in light of the Christ's gracious purposes with these keys, let us thank the Lord for them. And let us use these keys faithfully and always humbly and cheerfully submit to their use. Let us not fight against Christ's gracious purposes, but, but, but respond as we see the keys being exercised. Also among us, respond in faith and repentance by the grace of God. We depend on keys, congregation, for many things. But there are no keys so important as the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Let us take care that we never lose them. Amen. Let us pray.